you're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. I want us to begin this morning in Mark chapter 4. So if you would go ahead and turn there with me. While you're turning, I want to make a few introductory comments. Uh, I speak often here publicly and privately in my office about the extreme damage, and it is extreme, the extreme damage is done when Satan whispers to us the false identity and the lies that so devastate our lives. I don't know of a more necessary or urgent message to anyone than to help us understand that that is what Satan has been busy doing. He's been busy whispering to us lies about us, lies about our identity, lies about our goodness, lies about our relationship with God. Sometimes the devastation exists over many, many years, and this is probably one of the sadder things, because there are so many that I meet, so many that I have an opportunity to meet with that have now been 30 years and 40 years and 50 years and 60 years in the bondage that they experienced when Satan whispered something to them as a child. He whispers to us, well, it's going on because you're worthless. It's happening to you because you're weak. It's happening to you because you're alone. It's because you are hopeless. It's because you are poor. It's because you are, and then you can just fill in the blank because there's not a lie that he's missed of telling you something that is wrong about yourself. And because we, he said it to us in a vulnerable moment, we believed him. You know my story. I believed for the majority of my life that my identity was I am poor. And I thank him every day for the reality that he transformed that and I no longer function under that false identity. I hear this and I see it week by week and I see the devastation and I see the destruction but I also see the transformation and I also see the healing when somebody finally gets serious about dealing with the lies that Satan has told them. But equally often, I need to turn the coin over because that is one side of it. On the other side of that coin, there's something equally devastating and destructive. Yes, Satan has been busy lying to us about us. However, he spends an equally, equal amount of time lying to us about who the Father is. And I'm not sure that that's not ultimately more destructive. On one side, he's telling us, you're worthless. And on the other side of this coin, he tells us, And you're going to stay that way because God is powerless. You're weak, but you're going to stay that way because God has no ability to change that fact about you. And he's busy 
telling us and destroying both sides of the coin. He's telling us, and many of you sitting here this morning or will hear this eventually on, on the website, he is telling you this morning that God is distant and that he's removed, that he doesn't care, that he's unconcerned, he's slow to act, and he's powerless to help. And it's amazing how many believers have fallen into that thought. There are people missing this morning from this sanctuary because they're living under those conclusions about themselves and about God. Now that's a strange thing. For me as a believer to recognize what God did through his son on the cross to pay such an extreme price by shedding his blood for you and I resurrected on the third day, giving the Holy Spirit shortly thereafter and to conclude that God doesn't care. What else does he need to do to show that he cares and that he loves and that he has everything about us, for us, and in us on his heart? We may not think it today. You may have escaped that today. But we have we have thought it. We have been in that moment. We have been trapped by it. And if the wrong storm comes in our future, we will believe it again. That God somehow is powerless to change my story. And so I'm left in my hopelessness. I'm left in my weakness. I'm left in my loneliness. I'm left in being poor. And I will tell you this morning, I want so badly for that to change in you, in me, and in us today. I don't want us to ever go back there. I don't want you, I don't want me to ever go back to those conclusions and even allow Satan to begin to whisper to us something about our Father. I want us to leave behind this morning, any thought of our Father other than that which the Holy Spirit will reveal to us to be true. To set up Mark chapter 4, where we're going to begin reading in verse 35 in just a minute, it's important to know that in verse 35, where we will begin reading, that Jesus and his disciples are leaving Capernaum, Capernaum. It's, it, it's important in the story to know this. Because he says in this verse, let us pass over unto the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the other side of the Lake Gennesaret. He said, we're leaving Capernaum, Capernaum. The word caper in Greek is the word village. Nahum is the word comfort. We're leaving a comfortable place. Now, I want us to think about this because for you and I, we sang about it, we've heard it prayed over us this morning, that we would recognize that we are hope to the hopeless. We are understanding that Jesus Christ now indwells me and that I will be Jesus to a lost and a struggling and a dying world. It's important for me to know that there are going to be times 
when I have to leave Capernaum, I have to leave this village of comfort. That shouldn't surprise us to go across that sea. And guess what? They were leaving a village of comfort to encounter what? Well, we'll read that in, verse, in, in chapter 5. Mark 4, verse 35, if you want to join with me there. And the same day, when the even was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. I love that passage because it tells us what rocks the big boat rocks the little ones. What rocks us as parents tremendously rocks our children. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and he rebuked the wind. So we know that this is not a storm that God sent. If he's going to rebuke it, it's a storm that came from somewhere else, but it didn't come from his father. He rebuked the wind and said unto it, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. What manner of man is this? You see, how does Satan get our attention when he says something wrong about our father? Because he'll whisper to us, what manner of father is this? If you're in this condition, what manner of father is this? If you're weak, what manner of father is this? You see, at this point, the disciples were still uncertain. Now, I'm not going to spend much time this morning. I would love to camp in this story because it preaches by itself. That's not the point I need to make this morning. But I, I do want to make a couple of quick points that are powerfully relevant to, you, to us as we discover that we are also Jesus. The first of these is when Jesus announced that they were going to the other side, he knew that the man he was going to meet had been deemed hopelessly possessed, hopelessly untamed, and hopelessly crazy. He knew when he said, let us pass over to the other side, he knew the man that was waiting on him on the other side, this man whose name was Legion. He knew what he was going to meet. You and I, when God sends us to those who are hopeless, to those who are broken, to those who are hurt, when he sends us to them, we will, we will know in the sending that we are going to encounter someone who has no ability to change that story by themselves, or he wouldn't have sent us. Jesus knew by the simple instruction that God had given him that he needed to go to the other side, that he was going to encounter someone that was hopelessly possessed. That was the decision. That was the conclusion about this man by everybody that knew him. Also, second, he was not surprised that a storm would come between where he was and where the Father was sending him. You get it? 
He was not surprised between where he was on one side of, of the Sea of Galilee and God, the Father, had said, Let it, I want to take you to the other side. He was not at all confused that somewhere between there and there, there was likely going to be a storm. Why? Because who wanted it stopped? This is how I knew that the, know that the, God, the storm was not of God. Why did Jesus rebuke it? Who sent it? Satan sent the storm to try to stop him from going where God had him to where God wanted him. You can anticipate there's going to be a storm in the middle. And Jesus slept through it. Why? Because he had already seen himself on the other side. He knew the storm couldn't stop him. He was, third thing, he was not surprised that his disciples asked this question, what manner of man is this? He knew that his action would cause them to discover something about him that they otherwise would not have discovered. You take away the storm, you take away their statement. He knew that by his actions in that storm, they would say, what manner of man is this? They would be awestruck. Do you realize he still wants to put himself on display for you and I today? He still wants to show us what manner of God he is. He knows that about us as well. He's working that each of us would discover him in new ways Full revelation each time we gather in his spirit and in his word. He knows that we often lose sight of him. I was amazed this morning as we were singing how many of those songs, all of those songs were addressing who he is. He's the way maker. That first song, he's the way maker. He's the answer to our dreams. He's the hope. He's the love. Over and over we sang about who he is, he knows that we lose sight of him. Let's go to chapter 5. <clears throat> There's probably not been many passages in the Bible that's been preached on more than this one. We know it as the Gadarene demoniac and by several other titles. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. What a mess. Where would we have found ourselves in that story? More than likely, honestly, back in town somewhere, talking about the guy that was out there that was hopeless, talking about the guy that was so broken, talking about the guy that couldn't be chained, that couldn't be tamed, we would likely be where, the, where everyone else was. But I want to stop here. I'm going to keep going in this story. But I need to make a couple of points 
right here. First one, no man could bind him. What goes next? No one could bind him yet. Because this story is about to change. No man can bind him. That's like nobody can help me. Nobody can change my story. Nobody knows how bad this is. Nobody, nobody knows how badly I'm hurt. Nobody, nobody knows how badly I've been treated. Nobody knows the depth of my issues. No one can, no one can change it. No one can help me. The second thing is I wonder when Jesus first heard the man crying. I wonder if across that lake, across the Sea of Galilee, as Jesus was up praying, I wonder if he could hear the man crying. I don't know. But I know the Father heard it. I know the Father heard it. The other thing, this may be the first time that this man had laid eyes on Jesus but it was not the first time that Jesus had laid his eyes on him. Why is that important? When somebody walks into my office or into yours, it may be the first time they've ever seen me, but it's very likely not the first time I've seen them because God has probably shown me something, revealed something, God, it will let us see ahead because he already sees it. Let's keep going. Verse 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off and he ran and worshipped him, he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, thee, my God, that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. And again, I need to stop briefly. I don't want to have to come back and make these points afterward. I need to stop briefly and add another thought at this point in the story. I don't know if you do or not, but I get confused in this story. I get confused in the conversation. I get confused trying to sort out to whom Jesus is speaking. Is he addressing the evil spirit or is he addressing the man? When, when he says, you know, when, when this man comes running and he falls at Jesus' feet, is Jesus talking to this man or is he talking to this evil spirit? But the answer is powerful and the answer is simple because at this point, it makes no difference. Because this man did not know himself outside of that evil spirit. Everything about him, everything he knew, everything about his story had been defined by the evil spirit. So when Jesus begins to talk to him, it makes no difference because 
He doesn't, they don't see himself, he doesn't see himself as any different. I bring that up, I stop and bring that up because many, even some sitting here, have been completely consumed and fully absorbed into the broken heart, into their broken mind, into their broken story. They do not even know themselves outside of the brokenness that they're walking in. Can't even see a story that's not defined by the brokenness. Does completely consumed in the fear, completely consumed in the anxiety, completely consumed in the depression, cannot even imagine themselves outside of that story. Jesus addresses in part, at least that evil spirit, verse 11. Now there was nigh unto the mountain a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. If I had a superpower, I would love for it to be time travel. I'd have liked to have been in this moment. I don't know what I'd have been thinking. I don't know what I'd have been feeling, but I know it would have blown my mind to see the power and the authority of one who could send those spirits into those swine and the swine run into the sea. I don't know if you'd have been amazed. I, I, I would have been blown away. Guess what just happened? Remember in the story where it said no one could bind him? No one could tame him. No one could subdue him. What just happened? He met the one who could. He met the one who could tame his situation. He met the one who could dynamically change his story. He met the one who could subdue that spirit. He met the one that could tame all of his life, all of his story. And here's the question. Can the God that you know, the God you trust, the God you confess to believe, can your God subdue this man and that evil spirit? Is your God that big enough? Because if your God is, then you won't be walking in your brokenness. We can say with our mouth that our God is big enough to subdue this spirit in this man and set him free. And if I'm going to confess that with my mouth, that that is my God that can do that, then the God that loves me will also be in the process, if not immediately, setting me free as well, can the God you know subdue this man, this evil spirit that had consumed him? Is the God you know large enough? And do we act and believe and trust by faith that this same God who now indwells us can subdue the spirit that does not belong in or around me? Perhaps the saddest verse in this passage 
is that verse 5 where it says, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying. Some people that I meet, and you meet them as well, you know them yourself. Some people I meet, some people I meet with especially, have been living among those tombs for a lifetime. In the mountains, separated and distant. I'm not, I don't have permission to tell those stories. But I want you to know, you can trust me, that some of the people that are now walking in freedom for the first time have been in bondage 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years living among the tombs living separated, distant, because they, didn't, they could never find that person that could subdue what was going on in them. We minister often to those who have been living among the tombs, not experiencing living in, enjoying the spirit and the power of this resurrected life that you and I as believers have been given. This man was not the only one living among the tombs in this story, however. Verse 14, And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus, and they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. You see, all these people in this, in this village, whoever had come out because they heard this story, because the ones who owned the swine had gone back and told everyone, man, there's a guy out there, and this guy that nobody could tame, this guy that nobody is, could subdue, this guy that nobody could confine, that guy is now calm, that guy is now free. They came out to see and said, Jesus, if you're going to do that kind of stuff, get out. You see, he wasn't the only one living among the tombs. They were as well. Someone strong enough to subdue the evil spirit had come. And this man wanted to go with Jesus. Verse 19, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends. Tell them how great things the Lord had done for you and has and hath had compassion on you. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel <clears throat> because this man that no one could tame, this man that no one could subdue, this man that no one could confine, this man in torment by this spirit was now free and he went and told the great things that the Lord had done. Someone strong enough had finally come, whether it was by the choice of the man or by the choice of the evil spirit, 
I think it's quite odd, they ran to Jesus and bowed at his feet. That's not exactly where I would have expected the evil spirits to come. But what did those evil spirits already know? Oh, their day was done. All they could do then was come and beg for mercy. All they could do. And mercy they got. They got, they, they got to go into the pigs. He didn't do a magic trick. He moved in power at the request of a prompting father. I want you to go to the other side because there's a person over there that no one can tame. This is the part that kind of gets in your pocket because there are many, many spirits that are present here this morning. Many that don't belong here. Many, many spirits here this morning. I praise God that many have been cast out over the last 12 years. Many have been removed and are now powerless, bound, waiting their judgment. But some of those spirits still remain in this room. If I started naming them, many would immediately realize that they too are living among the tombs and have been doing it for a long time. Let me just name a few. I'm just going to give a very short list. Do you think in this room there's a spirit of fear? Someone's life, someone's story, a spirit of fear. How about a spirit of anxiety? Think there's any of that in the room? How about a spirit of condemnation? A spirit of judgment of others. How about a comparing spirit that causes us to look at each other and compare ourselves to someone else? How about a lying spirit? How about a doubting spirit? How about a gossiping spirit? How about an apathetic spirit? Think there's any of those in the room? Yeah, there's a lot of them. And this may sound strange, but I am not at all, in this morning or any morning, concerned that those spirits are here. I'm not going to focus on them. I'm not going to preach about them. I'm not going to beat you up with them. I acknowledge that they're here. There are many here each week. What I am concerned about is that we know God, we know about our Father so poorly, we have been taught so marginally that we never believed, or even now we don't believe, that he can subdue that spirit that I'm battling. That's the concern. The fact that a spirit is here, I don't care. What I do care about is that the spirit and the person that that spirit is with, that that person doesn't have a faith and an understanding that the father that loves him is powerful enough to overwhelm that spirit. You see, why would Satan lie to us about the Father? 
Because he knows if I begin to doubt the one who's powerful enough to subdue the spirit, then that evil spirit will stay, destroying day by day what it always destroyed. And I will continue to live among the tombs, among the dead, believing that no one can set me free. See, Satan understands very well what he told Eve in the garden. Did God really say? What was, Eve, what was he doing? He was making Eve doubt God. Did God really say? I'm not concerned about the spirits. They're always going to be here. There's always going to be people who are going to bring in that brokenness, bring in that hurt, bring in that spirit. It's okay. As long as those of us who know in here that we have been sent from where we used to be to the other side so that we can be partakers in their freedom and pronounce and prophetically say and instruct and in guide and be with them that person through whom God will work. And we too can see them set free. I am absolutely concerned that we know him so little that we speak regularly of his inability to remove us from the tombs where we have gone to live. The spirit of anxiety. To the spirit of anxiety, he is announced. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which passes understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. To the spirit of fear, he's announced, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. To the spirit of depression, 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he, might that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxiety. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. To the spirit of loneliness, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Let your conversations be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For, for he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. What lie has Satan told you about your father? that would cause you to believe that he's not big enough today to subdue that which torments you. What lie has he told you about God? Did he tell you that God doesn't care? Does he, has he told you that God is so removed, so distant, so far off, that he doesn't understand the nature of your broken heart, the nature of your struggle. Well, I want to encourage you to do something this morning. The praise team's going to come, and we're all going to stand, and we're going to sing. But I'm going to ask you this morning, if the Holy Spirit helps you to identify this morning, not the spirit necessarily that you're battling, but the lie that, God, that, that Satan has told you about God, if you can identify that lie, I would encourage you to come leave it at this altar. Because everything about Jesus was a substitution. You see, he died a substitutionary life. He substituted his life in the place of our sin. Everything was a substitution. 
So in the place of our anxiety, he gave peace. In the place of our fear, he gave love. In the place of my anger, he gave joy unspeakable and full of glory. For everything over here that needed to be subdued, he gave us a replacement. I would encourage you this morning to come to this altar, lay down the lie, and pick up the truth of God that erases the lie. If you come to this altar saying, God, I have believed that you are distant, then I would encourage you to leave with the truth of him saying to you, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Leave the lie and walk away from this altar with the truth he gives you to replace it. Please do not continue in the deception that, God, that Satan has told you about our Father. He loves you. He cares about you. You matter extremely to him to the point that he would send his son to die for you. To rescue you from hopelessness. To send the Holy Spirit to you to save you from the, from the self-effort that many fall into trying to be good. Whatever the lie is, I would encourage you, just come to the altar. Doesn't take but a second. Come to the altar. Lay the lie down and go back to your seat with the truth that he will give you to replace it. Let it be on your lips. God, you don't care. I can leave this place recognizing I can cast my cares upon you because you care for me. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.